Virgin's Old Time Radio. We have a cracker of a show for you tonight, gals and gents. Wash your blackheads, sniff some borax, and enjoy this episode of Crime Club entitled No Time for Murder. kept you waiting. Yes, this is the crime club. I'm the librarian. No time for murder. Yes, we have that story for you. Come right over. by the window. Comfortable? The manuscript is on this shelf. Here it is. No time for murder. The very intriguing story of a clock that chimed in with death. Let's look at it under the reading lamp. It was early evening, and Peter Woods, a young lawyer, had time to kill before his appointment with Hilda Ryan, his fiancée. So he took a walk along Madison Avenue, which was practically deserted. Then he stopped to window browse outside a bookshop. He was just getting interested in some of the titles when he was joined by a couple. What are you stopping here for, Dixon? Maybe I like books. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're just stalling for time, huh? Oh, Steve! Oh, let go of my arm. You are hurting me. Am I? Then let's get moving. No. Now, you don't really mean that, do you, baby? Excuse me, mister. I don't like to break into a love scene. Well, then don't, pal. Take your hand off her. Okay, Sir Galahad. Now, I'll give it to you. Steve, don't. Oh, you... You knocked him out. Huh? With one punch. Yeah. Maybe I'm stronger than I thought. (laughs) What is your name, honey? Uh, Peter Wood. Oh, Peter, darling. How can I thank you? Uh, now, look, Dick. If it had not been for you, I hey, would have been... Oh. Uh, you're just in time, officer. This girl was being molested. Yeah, by who? Uh, that man down... What man down where, buddy? Why, uh, he's disappeared. He was just lying there, officer. Let me smell your breath. I'm not drunk. Ask this lady. She'll tell you what happened. You bet I will. Officer, this man, Peter Woods, he tried to kill me. You hear that? And if I hadn't stepped in, why... What? What did you say? You tried to kill me. And all because... Yeah, darling, dear. Now, we've got a place for men like you. Now, wait a minute. This girl's framing me. Yeah. Well, tell it to the judge. He's a great one for fairy tales. The accused, Peter Woods, having been charged by the complainant, Dixie Martell, with felonious assault with intent to kill, is remanded for questioning by the grand jury of this county. Bail is hereby set at $1,000. Hello, Hilda Ryan speaking. And if it's you, Peter Woods... It's me, Peter Woods. Don't you dare say another word. I'm sorry, Hilda. You had an appointment to meet me here in my apartment at 7 o'clock. 
You were going to take me out to dinner and to the theater for the first time in six months. I, I know, dear. It's 11 o'clock now. Well? I uh, got tied up, honey. Why didn't you call me? I'm in the district attorney's office. Hmm? I'd rather be with you, darling. Oh, of course. Well, as long as you're working on a case. Yes, honey, and it's all mine. Well, I should hope so. You know what I think of lawyers who split fees. Uh, you don't understand, dear. I'm the defendant, too. You? I'm being held for the grand jury. Good heavens, what have you done? Nothing. Oh, no. I mean it. I never saw that girl before in my life. What girl? Dixie Martell. I was walking along Madison Avenue, and she and a fellow by the name What of, did uh, she say you did to her? Assault. What? With intent to kill. But she's out of her mind. Why? She told the judge in night court that I tried to pick her up. <gasps> All right, dear. You're against me, too. I guess I'll be better off in jail. Jail? Well, that's where they're going to take me now. And if a jury believes that girl, I'll go to Sing Sing for five years. And I'll be disbarred. Oh, Pete. Feel sorry for me now? I'm just a big dope. Darling, if you could come down to the DA's office and bring a thousand dollars... Bring a what? My bail money. Otherwise, I'll have to stay in jail until the grand jury gets around to me. But where am I going to get a thousand dollars now? How about your relatives? I've been lending them money. Oh. Uh... Well, can you get it here by morning? That means I'll have to go to the bank. Hilda, I love you. Oh, my truth, no money. You'll get it back. And we'll be married right after the jury says not guilty. Yes, and it better say not guilty, or I'll see that you get life. Pete, if your girlfriend were home... She's not my girlfriend, Hilda. Well, all right, then. If Dixie Martell were in her apartment, she'd have opened that door long ago. Don't think I haven't thought of it. Then why do you keep buzzing? Hope springs eternal. Well, come on, we'll get some lunch and then come back. Maybe by that time... I'm not giving up the watch, darling. But we could be easy. I'm going to be here when Dixie comes home, and she's going to tell me why she cooked up that... Pete. Take it easy, Elder. It's not the mysterious traveler. But the door... I leaned against it. Then it wasn't locked. Well, how did you figure that out, darling? Well, you said... Listen to me, Peter Woods. The next time you get into trouble, get somebody else to put a bail for you. All right. Find me another girl with trousseau money. Pete. Have you got one? Are you going in there? Of course. But I... We came here to see Dixie. Does that mean we've got to stand in the hall till she gets here? I know, dear, but... We can be sitting down. Look. Comfortable chairs. And a sofa. Pete, isn't there a law in this state against... Unlawful entry? In a lot of states, Hilda. Then why take chances of being arrested again? Aren't you in enough trouble? Hmm? How many grand juries do you want to face? You're right, sweetheart. Let's go back to the hall. <gasps> well, come on, will you? Uh, before Dixie barges in. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, What's the matter with you? Uh, look. Behind the open door. Don't tell me. It's good grief. Is that Dixie Martell? It was, Hilda. Oh, Pete. Now it's just her mortal remains. Well, Pete? Yeah, she was strangled, Hilda. Oh, took you a long time to find out. I was looking for a bullet wound or a knife wound, you know. I'd uh, rather not. Then I noticed the marks on her throat. I thought there'd be fingerprint impressions, but there weren't. Oh. Whoever killed her must have worn gloves or used a... 
What's the matter, Hilda? Don't you feel well? I couldn't feel worse. Come on, let's get over to the window. That won't do any good. Fresh air. Let's get out of here, Pete. I can't. You're not hypnotized, are you? I can't run away from it, Hilda. What are you talking about? Murder. Hmm? Dixie's murder. The police will say I did it. Oh, now. Don't kid yourself, honey. They say it. And I'll have the devil's own time proving I didn't. But what about me? Don't you think I'll have something to say? Yeah. After all, it isn't as if you found Dixie dead and then told me about it. Yeah. I was with you, and I've been with you all morning. That's the trouble, darling. What? You posted bail for me. Now, what in the world does that mean? You've got a special interest in me, and when we tell the police and the district attorney that we're engaged to be married. Oh. Understand? Uh, they'll say I'm prejudiced in your favor, and therefore... Oh, but Pete, what are we going to do? There's only one thing, Hilda. Yes? I'm a lawyer, an officer of the court, and I'm not supposed to do it. Hmm? I'm not supposed to conceal a crime. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, no citizen should conceal a crime from the police. But in this case... Thanks for coming out of the wherefore. What? Let's have the twit. I don't follow you, Hilda. Don't try. You just got lost in your legal training. Well, as I was saying, in this case... You're not going to tell the police about Dixie Martell. That's right. But, Pete, we can't just leave her here. We'll have to, honey, until I find out who killed her. Very, very interesting. <gasps> oh, hello, Steve. You're a lawyer, huh? Hmm. <laughs> what law school would you go to? Not the one you're going to, Steve. Oh, I've been there. And I learned the value of a closed door. Steve. It's too late, Hilda. The horse is in. Uh, let's take a look at that eye, Steve. Uh, from where you're standing, Don't girl. be afraid. I won't hurt your gun. Pete, is uh, that the man you told me about? Yeah, the guy who threatened Dixie and got clipped. Uh, nice shade of blue I'm wearing this evening, huh? Why did you come here, Steve? Why? I mean, at this particular time. I get impulses, baby. Like the one that strangled Dixie? Huh? <laughs> don't try to laugh it off, Steve. She tried to get away from you last you night. You don't say. Are you denying it? <laughs> you killed her, Steve. And before you left the building, you saw Hilda and me coming in, so you hung around. Uh, just to nab you with the goods, huh? Why did you kill her? Uh, listen, pal, would your name be Peter Wood? Never mind changing the subject. That's what I thought. Yeah, I uh, I knew I saw that face someplace. Madison Avenue. Magistrate's Court last night. Is it true what Dixie said about you? Okay, Steve, play down. And she was a friend of mine, Pete. And now look at her behind the door. Oh, well, we'll have to tell the police about this, Petey boy. Get away from that phone. Don't be ridiculous. It's a public utility. <laughs> I'm with you, Steve. Oh, you dumb clock. No, you dumb clock. A lady screams and you turn around. Gentleman Steve. I'll break you in half. Swing him around this way, Pete. I'll hit him with this flower pot. All right, Hilda. It's not all right. Can't you two stop dancing for a minute? I'll kill you, Wood. No, Hilda. No. Here, that does it. Uh. <laughs> Thank you, fatal charmer. Pete. Oh, Pete, darling. I got the wrong man. Pete. All right, Hilda. Now. Pete, will you ever forgive me? Now, Hilda. It's all over, darling. I hit you by mistake. Ah, uh, down clock, the lady screams. What did you say? I was all set to hit him, Pete, and then he swung you around, and oh, I... Oh, my aching head. Is there something you'd like me to do? Yes, but not now. Where's Steve? He left with his gun. Didn't he phone the police? No. 
Oh, so it was bluffing. Uh, help me up. Sit there for a minute. I've got something I'd like you to see. Hilda. This piece of paper. What is it? Read it. All right, I can see straight. Hmm. A pair ticket for a clock. So? Well, when I hit you on the head with the flower pot, the pot broke and this ticket fell out. Hmm. Carl Andrews, jewelry sold, clocks repaired, 980 East 69th Street. That should be on the next block, Pete. Now, why should Dixie bury a repair ticket for an ordinary clock? Maybe it isn't an ordinary clock. Uh-huh. Uh, help me up, sweetheart. I think I've seen everything. <laughs> Good afternoon. Can I help you? Are you Mr. Carl Andrews? I have been for 56 years. Now, what can I do for you? Oh, we have a ticket for a clock that was left here by Dixie Martell. Miss Dixie Martell. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, may I have the ticket, please? Huh? Thank you, sir. Uh, let me see. Where did I put that clock? Oh, yes, yes, sir. I remember. Here it is. Shall I wrap it up? Uh, let's see it first. Oh, of course. Why, Pete, it's beautiful. Yeah. Now, what would Dixie be doing with uh, it? You never can tell, Hilda. Maybe she used it to tell time. But a thing like that... It's a real antique, ma'am. Well, that's what I mean, Mr. Andrews. And uh, very expensive. A collector's item, if you don't mind my saying so. Oh, we don't mind. Uh, then perhaps you won't mind if I ask you a question. Hmm? I am responsible for this clock, and if you are strangers to me, of course you brought in the ticket, but... You want to know how we got it? Yes. Please don't be offended. Well, not a straight question calls for a straight answer. Thank you so much. We got it from Dixie. Uh, Miss Martell, to you. Naturally. She had to go away, a long vacation. Oh, the poor girl. I told her she was working too hard. I guess being a nightclub dancer is a very difficult profession. It uh, keeps the girl on her toes, Mr. Andrews. Of course, I do hate to lose a good customer, but what is best for her is... Well, you understand. Perfectly. Uh, Will she be coming back someday? I don't think so. Her plans were very definite. That is too bad. Well, if you should see her employer, tell him I'm sorry he's lost such a good performance. Do you know her employer, too? Oh, indeed I do. Mr. Jackson is one of my best customers. He owns the Pelican Club on West 49th Street, you know. (laughs) And the clocks there... Are never on time. (laughs) I I see you know, Mr. Jackson. Are you sure you wouldn't like me to wrap the clock for you? Sure. Well, then, if you'll excuse me, I'll go back to my work. (laughs) People get so angry when their clocks are not ready on time. A good day. Same to you. Now, oh, that's a sweet old man. Uh-huh. See, the next time we have a clock that needs fixing or some jewelry that needs buying. I'll keep it in mind. Hilda, didn't you notice something queer about that sweet old man? Queer? He didn't ask me to pay him. Pay him for what? The work he did on the clock. Oh. Well, maybe Dixie did that before. You know, in advance. Boy, how you women stick together. Come on, let's get a cab. Pete, are you crazy? You'll find out. This isn't utopia. Cab rides cost money. Take a look at the back of this clock. A metal plaque. Read it. 
from the collection of S. Parker Jackson. Well, all right, Mr. Andrews said. Don't you get it, honey? S. Parker Jackson. Excuse me, dear, this is my dumb afternoon. S. Parker Jackson might be the fancy moniker for a guy named Steve. Oh. Oh. Don't explode, darling. I need you. Oh, this darn traffic. It'll take us a year to get there. Oh, well. Hilda, for Jiminy's sake, will you stop playing with that clock? I'm only trying to wind it, Pete. Only trying? You've been turning that gimmick for ten minutes. You must have broken the spring. Oh, we'll find out. See? Hey, take it easy. That thing's an antique. You shake the cups out of it. I've shaken something out of it. A drawer. In the base of the clock. Pete, look what's in it. Let me see. Stuck with glue or something. Hilda, I love you. Hmm? These are diamonds. What? Those four pieces of glass? Uncut diamonds. I'll bet this drawer wasn't in the clock when Steve Jackson bought it. Pete, do you know what you're talking about? I've got an idea. Those robberies in the diamond center for the past year. Oh, no. You've read about them, haven't you? Yes. All right, dear, you're getting off the next corner. Oh, now, Pete. No arguments, honey. I've got plans. And I've got $1,000 wrapped up in you. Hard-earned money. Do this for me and I'll owe you my life. Would you go to the Pelican Club without me? Yes, dear. But you'll be there, too. Hello, Mr. Jackson. Huh? Well, Pete, well, if it is my old friend, come in. How's your head? S. Parker Jackson. Yeah, I come from good stock, bottle and bond. Yeah. How, um, how'd you get in here? I walked. That's quite an office you've got. Mm, I like comfort. And those clocks on the wall, some collection. Uh, mind if I look at them? Who, um, who told you about this place? A clock that Dixie had given to Mr. Carl Andrews for repair. Andrews? Ooh, Andrews. He, uh, he does all my repair work. Yes, so he says. Where is that clock? How much is it worth to you? Uh, let's say, your life? Ooh. You talk big. Where's that clock, Pete? Now, look, Steve, I'm a lawyer. I get paid for asking questions. You'll get paid off if you... Yeah? Okay, name your price. What does that clock mean so much to you? It's valuable. The only one of its kind in the world. A portable diamond mine, hmm? What'd you say? I'm giving the answers now, Steve. All those clocks on the walls, those rare antique clocks, are loaded with diamonds that were stolen from the diamond center. Uh, that crack you got on the skull went right through his brain, didn't it? Right through with a ticket. Now, let's have it, Mr. S. Parker Jackson. You killed Dixie Martell because she stole one of your clocks with diamonds in it. Killed Dixie Martell? Remember that body behind the door? Uh, there's a hospital a few blocks from here. You better go there right away. Killed Dixie Martell? <laughs> oh, that's very funny, isn't it? <laughs> it's a riot, a body behind the door. You've been seeing things, pal. Now, wait a minute. Dixie, a corpse, when she hears about this. Come on, I want you to tell her. What? Dixie Martell, she's upstairs rehearsing a new number. You mean that she's here in this club? Yeah, all here. But, well then, who was the dead girl in her apartment? Dead girl? What dead girl? <laughs> Rehearsal room, Pete. Last stop. 
Ah. So that's Dixie, huh? Always was, pal. I'll introduce you to it. Cut it, baby. Yes, sir. Hi, Steve. Like the new routine? Hi. Uh, Dixie, I want you to meet Peter Woods. Uh, huh. From Hollywood? Nah, from Hunger. He's a lawyer. Oh. Well, he's a friend of yours. Now, listen, Miss, what's your name? It's Dixie Martell, honey. Yeah, since when? Since... Say, what is this, Steve? A census taker? A jerk, baby. Thinks you're a corpse. What? A what? You know, what people say nice things about. You're misrepresenting her, Steve. She's not the girl we saw. She's Dixie Martell, Pete. But she's not the... And you know it. Don't you tell me who I am. All right, I won't, but I'll tell you what you are. Yeah, go ahead. You're a... Waiting, mister. You're a... Well? What's the difference? You're not Dixie Martell. Get him out of here, Steve. <laughs> Get him out before I wrap him up for burial. Funny scene. Quite a funny scene. The John's the matter with you, huh? I've got work to do. New routine that's got to be ready by tonight. Well, then work. Let's go, Pete. Yeah. Well, goodbye, miss. What's your name? Oh, go feed yourself to the squirrel. <laughs> Some number, huh? Yeah, that's what I've been thinking. Uh, let's go down to your office, Steve. Maybe I'll find the number for you, too. <laughs> And, uh, you hear, Pete, some of the publicity we've sent out on Dixie. We're breaking tonight's papers. With or without pictures? With. Here's a couple of the pictures. Oh. Steve, either you're a guy with plenty of gall, or you're just plain... You're getting weaker, pal. These are pictures of the girl upstairs. Dixie Martell. What's the gag? Who do you think you're going to kid with a stunt? Oh, you're getting tough again. Now, look, Steve, I'm not crazy, and neither is Hilda. There was a dead girl in that apartment. We all saw her. You were going to phone the police. Was I? That girl was Dixie Martell. And the girl upstairs... Oh. I have a feeling I don't know, but perhaps I could make a... Oh. Excuse me, pal. Yeah? Come on. Oh, so you're still talking. Oh, me? Uh, what is this? Don't tell me you don't know. Around the dead supposed to be her. What? Yes. You recognize the voice now, don't you? Dixie Martell. No. How does it feel listening to a ghost? I'll let you know. You thought I was dead, didn't you? You were so sure. The guy who does such a perfect job on everything. Oh, wait a minute, sweetheart. So you're mad, okay, but... You uh... tried to kill me. And why? Just because I swiped one of your lousy clocks with diamonds in it. Was that a reason for murder? Oh, that's, uh, that's a big question, honey. I uh, can't answer it now. That's all right with me, Steve. You're through. Uh, uh, well in trouble, Steve? Uh, sort of. Well, when you have too many. It was your girl, Pete. Huh? Hilda. You put her up to it, didn't you? Now, chum, if I knew what you were talking about. She makes a very bad ghost, chum. Oh, that. Yeah. Don't reach for that gun, Steve. I've got one right here in my pocket. That fact is fiction. Don't try to find out. Hmm. Once the lawyer, always the lawyer. What does that mean? How much? For you, 2,000 volts. Uh, how about 50,000 bucks for you? In cash? In cash. All right, Steve. Get on that phone and call the police. No dice, huh? The police, pal. Okay. What do I tell them? About diamonds and Dixie and death. You're really not squirrel food. 
And while you're dialing the operator, you can tell me all about that girl upstairs you had posing as Dixie Martell. Oh, you mean Mona. Mona. A not-so-delectable slice of ham. Oh, you're wrong, pal. She's very delectable. <laughs> very delectable. <laughs> uh, nice work, Mona. Your timing was perfect. Oh, thanks for leaving the door open, Steve. Hey, everybody wants to get in the act. But you, baby, you belong. Well, what do we do with him? Yeah, leave him there. Come on, help me get the clock down from the wall. Clock? But Steve, we... Come on, honey, time marches on. We've got to keep him set. Pete. Oh. Pete. Now, Hilda. All right, Hilda, now... I didn't do it, Pete. You can't blame me for everything that happens to you. Now, get up. Uh, yeah, yeah, get up. Club. Uh, Hilda. How do you do? Uh, what happened to me? That's what I'd like to know. How did I get down? Oh, yeah. Somebody hit me on the head. Who? I don't know. Steve was standing over there. I had him covered with a gun I didn't have in my pocket. A gun you didn't have? I took a chance and he fell for it. Then he... I know. Oh, now we'll get someplace. Well, it's Mona. It must have been Mona. Who's Mona? That girl in the rehearsal room who pretended to be... Hey, the clocks. What happened to the clocks? Huh? The clocks were in this room. The walls were covered with them. Pete, you poor darling. You're delirious. Two hits on the head in one day. They're gone, Steve. Mona, clocks and diamonds. Beat it. Are you trying to me? No, no, no. The clocks that were full of diamonds and those two killers. Oh, dear. You mean I was Dixie's ghost for nothing? Hilda, don't you realize the evidence is gone? And sooner or later, somebody will find Dixie's body in her apartment. The police will start asking me a lot of questions. What'll I tell them? Oh, excuse me? Oh, hello. I'm looking for Mr. S. Parker Jackson. I have... Oh, haven't I seen you two before someplace? Well, of course you have. We were the two folks who, uh... You remember Dixie Martell's clock? Oh, yes. You will pardon my bad memory, I hope. How are you? Oh, so-so. Oh, that's too bad. And you, young lady? Oh, fine, Mr. Andrews. And you? Oh, I can't complain. Are you waiting for Mr. Jackson? Who is it? Uh, is that a clock you've got in that package? Yes, Mr. Jackson wanted me to repair it. A great rush. I had to promise to have it here exactly at this time. And now, uh, will he be here soon? Oh, maybe, if we can reach him. He hasn't gone away, thank you. Well, after a fashion. Uh, but you can leave the clock. Leave it? With me. I'll see that it gets into the right hand. Oh, I am sorry I cannot do that. Why not? Well, Mr. Jackson is very particular about his clock. But you aren't. What? The one you repaired for Dixie was a very bad job. Why, Pete, that's right. It didn't go. Took you a long time to remember that, Hilda. How about you? Took me a long time, too. Uh, now, Mr. Andrews... I am afraid I don't quite understand what you young people are talking about. Well, then, let me put it this way. That clock you've got wrapped up has got a drawer in it. I didn't notice. A drawer you put in it. That's the kind of repair work that you've been doing for Steve Jackson. I, young man... Shall we check? Leave this package alone. We're checking, Mr. Andrews. I said, leave it alone. Oh, hey! Oh, I am sorry I did not mean to hurt you. Well, the old guy's got a grip like a pair of handcuffs. Now, I'll come back later when Mr. Jackson... Now, just a minute. Now, don't stop me, young fellow. You won't take me by surprise again. You never knew what was going into those clocks, did you? I want you to get out of my way. But when Dixie Martell brought a clock to you, not for repair, but for safekeeping, you looked in the drawer. You saw the diamonds. I am warning you, young man. You took them. That is, you thought you took all of them. 
Then you went to her apartment this morning and strangled her. I am not going to warn you again. It's no use, Mr. Andrews. I can wrestle, too. You strangled her. No, Just to make sure you could keep the diamond. That wasn't nice, Mr. Andrews. That was murder. Oh, a hot dog, a bottle of pop, and thou. I just can't get over it, Pete. Mr. Andrews. Mm-hmm, he did it. The police found the diamonds in the back of his store. Greed, greed, greed. Mm, once it's too much, Hilda. What people won't do for money. Well, if they wouldn't do it, it'd be all right, but the trouble is they do. Hmm? You can't beat it, honey. Ask Mr. Andrews. Hmm. And when you get through asking him, you can ask Steve and Mona. You think they'll get 20 years? Maybe 30. But if I were the judge... Someday, darling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on, let's get some peanuts. Pete, what made you suspect Mr. Andrews? I was alive. What? And I wouldn't have been if Steve were a killer. Oh, you mean... That's right. I knew too much about his business. But he didn't kill me. And so, when Andrews came in... Make it simple, dear. I took a chance, that's all, and it worked. Well, where can I get peanuts around here? Are you going to eat them? Why not? Squirrels do. Are we any better? We're not even as smart. And so closes tonight's story, No Time for Murder. Stedman Coles wrote the radio script. Roger Bauer produced and directed. Myron McCormick played Peter Woods. Charlotte Lawrence was Hilda Ryan. Raymond Edward Johnson was Steve Jackson. Cameron Prudhomme played Carl Andrews. And Gene Allen was Dixie Martell. Oh, I beg your pardon. Hello. I hope I haven't kept you waiting. Yes, this is the crime club. I'm the librarian. Yes, come over a week from tonight. Good. We have the very unusual story of a trip that was arranged by death. It's called Cowhide. In the meantime... Well, in the meantime, there is a new crime club book available this week and every week at bookstores everywhere. Yes, it's available now. Fine. And we'll look for you next week. This program came from New York. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. got your disgusting fill in the first half hour. Welcome back to Ricky Jin's Old Time Radio. Now enjoy this episode of Escape entitled The Lost Special. (laughs) 
fed up with the everyday grind, tired out by the dull routine, want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are speeding through the English countryside, the fast express train rocking beneath your feet. And you know that somewhere in the dark ahead of you, a band of men are plotting the destruction of the train, are planning the moment of your death. we escape to England at the turn of the century and the story of a complete train that vanished from the face of the earth. As Sir Arthur Conan Doyle told it in his fascinating tale, The Lost Special. Twenty years with Scotland Yard have brought me into contact with many weird and unusual events in human affairs. But none more strange than the occurrences which began on the afternoon of June the 3rd, 1890, in the railway station at Liverpool. On no case before had I ever felt myself so helpless, groping blindly as it were for an unseen adversary, not being certain of the nature of the crime, not even knowing in fact if it were a crime. Suffice to say that along a short stretch of railway line in Western England, I learned what is truly meant by terror of the unknown. At four o'clock of the afternoon in question, having completed a rather minor investigation which had brought me to Liverpool, I was sitting in the waiting room of the railway station reading and waiting for the six o'clock train for London, entirely unaware at that moment of a rather ordinary conversation that was taking place in the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master, a few yards away. I'm very happy to know you, Mr. Carrotel, and you, Mr. Gomez. And now, if I might learn the nature of your wishes? Simply this, Mr. Bland. My companion and I have arrived on the steamer from Central America, which docked less than an hour ago. It is of the utmost importance that we reach London as quickly as possible in order to arrange passage across the Channel to France. I see. Well, it's unfortunate you missed the three o'clock train, Mr. Carrotel. However, there'll be a limited leaving at six that will put you in London... That is not early. soon enough, Mr. Bland. I cannot stress too highly the importance of my reaching Paris at the earliest possible moment. I can understand that, but there simply isn't any other train until Quite six. so. Quite so. I am informed, however, that it is possible to charter a special train upon occasion. A special? Yes, it's possible. Rather expensive, though. The cost is not important, Mr. Bland. How soon can the arrangements be made? Well, uh, uh, Mr. Hood, do we have an engine available? Yes, uh, sir. Number 247 is on the north siding under emergency steam. Good. Very well, Mr. Carrotel. It's 4.08 now. We can roll a special out of here at 4.30. The charge is 55 pounds. Gomez. You will pay Mr. Bland 55 pounds. Uh, who is on the standby crew, Mr. Hood? Let's see. Uh, John Slater is engineer, McPherson guard, Smith fireman. Call them at once. Have them carry two standard coaches behind the engine and telegraph the station master at St. Helens to hold the local on siding there until the special goes through. Make sure the line is clear as far as Manchester. Yes, sir. I'll send for a porter to take care of your briefcase, Mr. Carrotel. Seems to be rather heavy. Thank you, no. 
I prefer to keep it with me, if you don't mind. Certainly, whatever you wish. Now, if you leave here at 4.30, you should be in Manchester at quarter to six. The station master there will clear you on to London. And I trust you'll have a very pleasant journey. As I say, I was not aware of these events until a while later, and would have placed no significance on them in any case. At 4.31, the special train, with its two passengers and three crew members, pulled out of Liverpool Station and headed for Manchester. And at ten minutes to six, I was summoned to the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master. And so, that seems to be it. Very likely, I have no real reason at all to be worried, Inspector Collins. But since I saw you below there in the station, I thought it wise to call you in on it. Well, I'm happy to be of any help, Mr. Bland. Uh, as, as I understand it, your special train is running behind schedule, is that it? Incredibly behind schedule. Uh -huh. It's nearly half an hour overdue at Manchester right now. We've wired them to check and report back. Well, it isn't exactly unheard of for a train to run slow, Mr. Bland. It is, unless there's some reason, and I can't think of one in this case. The special had clear track all the way. It passed through St. Helens at 4.52, right on time. Uh -huh. They wired us, and then 15 minutes later released the local to follow along behind it into Manchester. Uh, you mentioned something about Mr. Carrotrol having a companion, I believe. Huh? Yes, a great hulking brute named Gomez. He didn't utter a word while they were here. Seemed to be a sort of bodyguard. Carrotrol himself was small and stooped with a swarthy complexion, possibly a Latin American. Uh, and you got the impression that he was carrying something rather valuable in his briefcase, huh? Yes, he wouldn't let it out of his hands. And he seemed to be in great fear of something, though I haven't any idea what it may have been. Oh, what about this second chap, Horace Moore? Uh, typically English, about 40 years old, seemed very anxious to reach his sick wife in London. Oh. Here's Manchester on the wire now, Mr. Bland. Oh, uh, good. What are they... Uh... Well, just a moment. Uh, well, here's a message. Assume change in your original plan. Local from St. Helens arrived, Manchester... Reports no sign of special train. Oh, but that's impossible. St. Helens reported the special through ahead of the local. Well, is there a branch line between St. Helens and Manchester, Mr. Bland? No, not even a double track. There's only a single track main line straight through. Sidings, of course, at the local stations for loading purposes. But, uh, Mr. Hood... Yes, sir? Check every local operator from St. Helens on. We've got to get to the bottom of this. I can't understand it, Inspector Collins. A locomotive and two coaches can't simply... Well, it's utterly impossible. It, it can't have just disappeared. In a few moments, the answers began coming in over the wire. The first was from St. Helens. Repeating our previous message, a special train passed here at 4.52, local departed 15 minutes later. Then from Collins Green. Special passed here at 5 o'clock, followed by local train 17 minutes later. And then Earl's time. Special passed here at 5.06, followed by local 18 minutes later. Newton. Special passed here at 5.12, local train 17 minutes later. At Kenyon Junction. Special through here at 5.20, local passed 19 minutes minutes later and then Barton Moss local through 553 no special train passed here today I tell you it's absolutely unprecedented Inspector Collins an entire train and five human beings vanishing from an open track between two local stations only eight miles apart it's impossible is the only thing to the contrary being the fact that it has apparently happened but I can't understand it. mr. Bland I think you'd better make arrangements to get us out to Kenyon Junction as quickly as possible <laughs> Uh, 
Within ten minutes, we were in a coach behind a goods engine, moving at full throttle on the main line east out of Liverpool. Since the missing special had been reported safely through Kenyon Junction, there was no need for concern with the country this side of that station. While the coach rattled and banged along the miles, we spent the time poring over a large-scale map of that eight-mile stretch between the junction and Barton Moss. As you can see for yourself on the map, Inspector Collins, it's rather open country through there. Yeah. Low rolling hills, mostly, with quite a lot of coal mining and one steel mill. Uh-huh. No towns or villages near the railway line. Yeah, so I see, Mr. Blandard. What about these spur tracks that join the main line? There must be a dozen or more of them. Fourteen, to be exact. Uh, isn't it possible the special could have been switched onto one of those spurs? Well, yes and no. Eight of them can be eliminated immediately. Besides being narrow-gauge tracks, they're also much too flimsy to bear the weight of a standard locomotive. Furthermore, they end at loading bins adjacent to the main line. They're, they're not actually connected to it. I see. Well, that still leaves six. Are they all standard gauge? Yes, but three of those six can be eliminated too, since they've been abandoned for years. The mines they were built for are no longer operated. The Red Gauntlet, Despond and Hartsees collieries. Yes, but abandoned or not, if the tracks are still there, couldn't they be used? No, to... no, they could not. When service to the three mines was discontinued years ago, the switches, along with several hundred yards of track adjacent to the main line, were removed to prevent accidents. And that settles that. But we still have three lines left. Yes, and all in operation. They serve the Big Ben and Perseverance collieries and the Carnstock Ironworks. Good. Then there's the probable area of our investigation. Probable? Inspector, I fail to see anything probable about a train scheduled from Manchester turning up in a dead-end siding. Well, for many years now, Mr. Bland, I've been approaching problems of this sort with a certain theory of logic. Once both the obvious and the impossible are eliminated, and we seem to agree on those, then the solution must lie in the realm of the improbable, no matter how fantastic it may at first seem. I can't believe it. Why wouldn't the train crew report in? What about Mr. Carroll's anxiety to get to London? Why wouldn't hey, wait, he have... Wait, wait. We're slowing down, aren't we? That's right, sir. We're pulling into Kenyon Junction. Mm-hmm. This is the last station to report seeing the last special. Very well, gentlemen. This is where we start to work. We stopped in the junction only long enough to rig acetylene spot lanterns at either side of the coach, directed in such fashion as to light up the roadbed and embankment along both sides of the track. And then we puffed slowly out onto the main line and headed towards Barton Moss, eight miles away. The first mile of those eight dropped behind us and brought no significant discovery, and we moved on through the second mile. Save for the flood of light from our lanterns and the dull red glow from the firebox of the engine, the night was as black as pitch. Now and again, the ugly shape of a loading bin for one of the narrow-gauge feeder lines would loom out of the darkness ahead of us and float past, ghostly for a moment in our lights, and then dissolve away behind us into the blackness. But on the roadbed, the rails themselves remained unmarred, undisturbed, and offered not the slightest clue to explain a disappearance that grew more mysterious by the minute. We completed the second mile and moved on, and then suddenly... What is it, Inspector? What do you see? Uh, Stop the engine at once, Mr. Hood. Yes, sir. What is it, Inspector? I think I've seen something. I don't see a thing, It's just off the embankment there, in the edge of the bushes. Uh, We'll need a hand light. Here you are, sir. Good. All right, come on now. Let's have a look. 
By heaven, there, there is something right enough. I, I see now. Well, it looks like a man lying there. Oh, it's more likely the body of a man from the position he's in. Well, now, lad. Come on, let's turn you over and have a glimpse of your face, huh? What? Inspector. Why, this is John Slater. Ah? Huh? And who is John Slater? He was the engineer on the special. Hmm. Well, he's dead. His neck's broken. Dead? I'll venture a quick guess it was caused by a fall from the cab of his engine. Travelling rather fast at the time, I'd say. You can see where he rolled through the bushes for some little distance there. Hmm? Yeah, but, but then uh, what happened to the locomotive, Inspector? Uh, afterward, I mean. Uh, that still remains to be seen, Mr. Hood. We can be fairly certain of one thing, though. A special must have come at least this far out of the junction. Otherwise, it's pretty difficult to account for the engineer's body being here. No more difficult, surely, than it is to account for any of this. This whole thing is incredible. Impossible! Well, we still have our improbabilities, Mr. Bland. Those three connected spur lines are ahead of us yet, and the chances are one of them is going to supply some kind of an answer. By midnight, I'd completed a thorough check of the three lines. The first one, to the Big Ben colliery, ran a mile and a half back into the hills and ended against the face of a huge pile of coal. Not large enough, however, to cover a locomotive and two coaches. I made certain of that. The line to the Perseverance colliery was hardly more than a half mile long. It had been blocked all day, and it was still blocked by a string of loaded ore cars, and ended beyond them against the open rock face of a quarry. And the last line, running to the Carnstock Ironworks, was a double track, and had been left open all day. However, a sleepy superintendent informed me that over 200 repairmen had been busy on the roadbed until well after dusk, and it was impossible to imagine a non-scheduled train passing through such a horde of witnesses unnoticed. Oh, shortly after midnight, dog-tired, we walked into Barton Moss Station, still without the slightest explanation of the mystery. Uh, I want to send a wire through to Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah I'm prepared to postpone further investigation... Investigation? ...until daylight. Yes, sir. Now sign it, Collins. Uh, can you get that off right away? Right away, sir. Hey. Peaceful English countryside in a dead engine driver. You speaking to me, sir? Hmm? Yeah, no, no. It is strange, though. Strange, sir? In broad daylight, a 40-ton locomotive with two carriages and four passengers has vanished from the face of the earth. In just a moment, we will return to escape. But first... Ten great shows come to you every Sunday night on CBS, and right and bright in the middle is America's number one comedy, The Jack Benny Show. Tomorrow night, Jack will take his place on CBS All-Star Night with a cast that's made The Jack Benny Show a welcome visitor in millions of American homes. Yes, Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Helen Hayes, Eve Arden, and all the other great stars come to you over most of these same stations in CBS's ten great shows on Sunday nights. And now, with our star, Ben Wright, we return to the second act of Escape and... The Lost Special. By the next morning, of course, the story was out and the daily papers went to work on it. But, fortunately for Scotland Yard, the main attention of the press was directed at the moment toward the international scandal, which had been brewing for a week or two among high financial circles in France. As it was, however, letters to the editor in the morning post gave us quite a rough go of it. 
Oh, with all manner of crackpot suggestions. It seems difficult to believe that the worthy operators of Scotland Yard have overlooked the one obvious explanation as to the whereabouts of the missing train. May I advise them that some two miles from Barton Moss, the railroad line crosses the West Branch Canal. Unquestionably, the special leapt from the bridge and lies now in the muddy this water. This whole affair is obviously the work of some subversive organization. And until the culprits are brought in to face their just deserts, no man, woman or child in England can be considered safe. Now, Surely my advice we are the witnessing the fulfillment of ancient prophecies. The forces of evil grow bolder and begin now to invade the earth openly. There is no doubt but what that strange man Keratol was really the devil in disguise. And it is Our high time... Our first action this morning is to gaze quickly across the city toward Westminster Abbey. Considering the recently demonstrated inefficiency of Scotland Yard and the Manchester-Liverpool railway affair, it's quite possible the Abbey may be spirited away some night soon. A week passed, and then two weeks. We scoured the whole western countryside, following up every lead, tracking down each rumour, and we got nowhere. Three weeks, four, and then the press began to ignore the matter. Two months went by, nothing new. Three months, and the activity of Scotland Yard in the matter had come to a standstill. The reason was simple enough. We had no idea what else to do. So the records were finally taken from the active file and marked, case still open and unsolved. Even though I worked on other assignments, my mind kept turning continually back to the case of the lost special. I tried to think of some avenue left untried, some path overlooked, and I could think of nothing. I reviewed all of the improbabilities I'd tested and disproved, and I tried to... Improbabilities. Suddenly a fallacy in my own logic began to dawn on me. Arbitrarily, I had called certain explanations impossible and touched them only lightly in my investigation. And yet, what could really be classed as impossible in a case which itself was utterly impossible? Back down to Barton Moss again, and then 10 days of painstaking work. At the end of those 10 days, I was certain that I'd found at least the essentials of the answer, and I was equally certain that I could never prove it. I could see only one bare chance, a desperate chance against long odds. I laid my plan before the chief inspector, and then Scotland Yard went into action. The London Times, 21st November, 1890. Rumours are circulating that a man named Dalton, arriving in Liverpool on the steamer Vistula tomorrow, may hold the key to the long-standing Manchester railway mystery. According to reliable sources, Mr. Dalton possesses recently discovered copies of the documents which were carried in the briefcase of the ill-fated Mr. Keratol. It is further stated that Scotland Yard is arranging to meet Mr. Dalton at the Liverpool Pier and rush him forthwith to London. The next afternoon, accompanied by Mr. Dalton, I walked into the office of Mr. James Bland, station master at Liverpool, and chartered a special train for London. We shall have the train ready for you to leave in ten minutes, Inspector Collins. Uh, good. I'm most anxious to get Mr. Dalton and his briefcase to London as quickly as possible. Yes, I saw the squib in yesterday's paper, and I was afraid then you'd be wanting a special train arranged. I'm still worried about it, as a matter of fact. Oh, I hardly think there's any need to be. 
You've run a good many specials up to Manchester since that affair six months ago, and you've uh, never lost another one, now, have you? No, but I'll confess I've shaken in my boots every time I've watched one of them pull out of here. I say now, you're going to have me jumping at my own shadow. Oh, oh, don't worry, Mr. Dalton. I'll have you in London before you know it, and done the worst for the trip. Nevertheless, Inspector, you'll have to admit the situation today is very much like the one six months ago. Oh, yes, in some ways. The mysterious stranger arriving by steamer from South America, and in urgent haste to reach London. The carefully watched briefcase, which, according to rumour, contains the very same sort of material Mr. Carrotel was carrying. But there is one difference. Mr. Dalton is being accompanied by an agent from Scotland Yard. Yes, but Mr. Carrotel also had a guard, that chap Gomez, and both of them disappeared. Oh, come now. Surely you don't think that anything so fantastic could possibly... Oh, no, he's right, Mr. Dalton. It did happen once, and a number of the elements are similar. Well, Mr. Bland, I'll, I'll wire you as soon as we reach Manchester. Hardly necessary, Inspector. I, uh, I think I shall go along with you. What well, good, but if you're looking forward to excitement, I can't promise it. No, it will probably be a very ordinary trip. But if I stayed here, I'd be a nervous wreck by the time you reached Manchester. Well, then come along by all means. Mr. Dalton and I will enjoy your company. Your train has just pulled up the platform, gentlemen. Good. Well, gentlemen, we, uh, we can't keep the fates waiting, huh? Let's get aboard. Well, it's certainly been an uneventful journey so far. Why well, hardly expected anything to happen this side of Kenyon Junction, and it's right ahead of us then. Inspector Collins, do you mean you are expecting something to happen on the other side of it? Oh, yes, yes, that's the whole purpose of the trip. I don't believe I follow you. Yes, I, I imagine it is about time that you were brought in on this, Mr. Bland. I, I didn't want to take any chances by discussing it before we were well along towards the um, uh, danger area. We're passing through Kenyon Junction, Inspector. Good. Uh, oh, uh, Mr. Dalton there is a Scotland Yard agent, by the way, Mr. Bland. Oh? And all he's carrying in that mysterious briefcase is a uh, half dozen ham sandwiches. I, uh... I think I should welcome some sort of explanation, Inspector Collins. Yes, uh, do you ever hear of the old trick an archer uses when he loses an arrow? He shoots another in the same general direction, follows it, and sometimes he finds both of them. Well, this train and all of us aboard it constitute the second arrow, Mr. Bland. Do you mean you're expecting this train to vanish like the other? Why, you're deliberately risking our lives. Oh, the risk is not quite so great as you may imagine. But what makes you believe the attempt will be repeated? I've created as nearly as possible the same set of conditions that led to the first disappearance. If I'm right about the motivation, the party's concerned can hardly afford not to repeat. What motivation? I fail to see one. Well, it requires a bit of assuming, Mr. Bland, but the assumptions seem to fit the facts as well as the method used. Mm -hmm. uh, let's take some of those facts. Mr. Carator was in a frantic hurry to reach Paris. His briefcase apparently contained something of great value. He was afraid an attempt would be made to prevent his reaching Paris. Yes. In Paris at that time, a huge financial scandal was brewing, which later came to nothing because of lack of evidence. The scandal involved illegal land operations in Central America. And Mr. Caratol had just arrived from Central America with his briefcase. Even so, yeah, And I... finally, it must require a good deal of money to bring about the disappearance of a locomotive and coaches, whereas ordinary criminals rarely have a good deal of money. Now, do you follow me? Yes. Yes, of course. If all that's true, then the idea was to eliminate Carrotel completely, along with his evidence. And that's exactly what was done. Inspector, we just passed the spot where John Slater's body was found. Well, then heads up, Mr. Dalton. It's only a few hundred yards now. Uh, tell me this, Inspector. Have you also discovered how the thing was done? Oh, yes. 
but I'm in the unfortunate position of not being able to prove it. And what do you think it's going to prove if the same thing happens to us? Oh, that. Well, I forgot to mention that there are 20 agents of Scotland Yard concealed in the coach behind us. They're specially selected, armed with rifles, and are there for the express purpose of making sure the same thing does not happen to us. You're slowing down, Inspector Collins. Well, I think this is it. Slowing down? Why? We're leaving the main line. But we can't leave the main line. There's no siding here. Oh, yes, there is. There's the spur track to the Hartsey's colliery. But it's abandoned. There's no connection to the main line. The rails were taken away years ago. Ordinarily, you'd be right, Mr. Bland, but at the moment, there's an excellent switch installed at the main line, and also a very serviceable set of rails connecting it with the old track. We're travelling over them now, as a matter of fact. Have you seen anything, Mr. Dalton? Not yet, sir. The train is being manned, incidentally, by Scotland Yard agents. I took the liberty of holding the regular crew in the coach behind us until we could find out which of them has been bought off, which scheduled to end up like John Slater. But I must confess, Inspector, I... look. Men are coming out of the bushes behind us. They're already starting to pull up the rails. You see, Mr. Bland, in 15 minutes you'll be right again. There'll be no connection between the Hartsey's siding and the main line. Yes. Yes, I see now. By heaven, I never Mr. would Mr. Bland, it won't do any good to try to signal with that pocket handkerchief. I'm... Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid I don't quite understand you, Inspector. Then perhaps you'll understand the fact that you're under arrest for the murder of Caratol, Gomez and John Slater. Why, that's utterly ridiculous. Why, I... Why have we stopped? In order to permit the... Ah, there's your answer. I think that 20 agents of Scotland Yard should prove more than a match for your assistance. Your guesses are nothing less than preposterous, Inspector. What could I or anyone else gain by merely switching a train onto an abandoned siding? The other special, if you recall, disappeared. Ah, yes. Yes, so it did. And straight ahead of us, a mile and a half, if you recall, Mr. Bland, this spur ends at the Hartsey's mine shaft, one of the largest inclined shafts in this part of the country. According to the records, it used to be 900 feet deep. But upon investigating it last week, I found it closed off by a tremendous cave-in at 400 feet. Now tell me, Mr. Bland, was the cave-in caused by the explosion of the locomotive's boiler when it struck the bottom? Or did you dynamite the shaft after the train went into it? You've no proof of any of this and no evidence whatsoever against me. Your train crew in the coach behind us have all signed statements. And I think we'll get a good deal more evidence from the men who are being rounded up out there now. I... I have nothing further to say. Well, there's nothing you can say, Mr. Bland. We've seen your bank account with those mysterious and heavy entries which are dated about the time the special disappeared, which I'm sure we shall be able to trace to certain French sources. We've succeeded in tracing down McPherson and Smith, a fireman and conductor you bribed to vanish. Too bad you couldn't bribe Slater, the engineer, because his death was most unfortunate. You see, his body furnished us with our first clue. Yes, Mr. Bland. Without Slater's body, we might really have thought that the lost special had disappeared into thin air. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented The Lost Special by Conan Doyle, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Inspector Collins was Ben Wright, and the featured players were Parley Bear, John Daner, Edgar Berrier, Larry Dabkin, and Paul Fries. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week... You're aboard the Orient Express. 
rushing through the European night bound for Constantinople, and in your compartment with you, a gun pointed at your head, a small mysterious foreigner is about to take your life. Next week, we escape with Graham Greene's exciting novel of intrigue, Orient Express. Goodbye then until this same time next week when CBS again offers you Escape! For more adventures, seek it out with two top CBS shows tonight. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters, both regular Saturday features on most of the same CBS network stations. Be sure to hear them tonight. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed by the Let's Pretend program over most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. again next week at the same time on the mighty K-O-N-R. Don't forget to play What Will Mrs. Thompson Say at LGAP.com. Now, stay tuned for the Sam Squatch Report.